Welcome to the Demand Gen Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Amos, and in this podcast, we talk about all things, you guessed it, demand generation in a simplified way. We cover the basics of what demand generation is, all the way through to how to get started and how to be successful when launching your demand generation framework. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining. So for today's episode, I have Sam Jacobs, who is the CEO and founder of Pavilion, which is a support network for revenue leaders. And Sam, you actually have a new book out, which I'm so excited to promote. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of this podcast. But do you want to shine some light on your background, um, you know, and why you started Pavilion to begin with? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I uh, thanks Janelle. I'm the founder and CEO of Pavilion. I've been uh, building companies in New York City since 2003, and I, I first moved here in 1999. So I've been working for 23 years, coming up on 24 years, and um, and I started Pavilion uh, about eight years ago informally because I was a chief revenue officer and VP of sales and basically revenue leader at venture capital backed high growth startups here in the city. And I was just having a lot of trouble doing my job. I was um, my my I was getting fired a lot, so I've been fired for my last five jobs. the The skills required to be good at my job were ever changing, and I needed a support system and a support network. And so I started Pavilion as a mechanism to bring sales leaders and really revenue leaders, so sales, marketing, customer success, all of the people that are effectively non technical that are responsible for the go to market function of a company. Uh, all of those people together to help each other. And so we started off as a community and now, uh, you know, it was just a dinner club basically uh, of 20 or 30 people that would meet every quarter back in 2014. Fast forward to 2022, we're about 10,000 members. We've got members all over the world. We have built Pavilion University, which is our learning platform, our online learning platform, 11,000 total enrollments in 2022, 6,000 total students. So we've effectively become you know, the leading global community to help uh, revenue leaders and their teams, importantly, and their teams uh, get better at their jobs, uh, level up, prepare their careers, and really help their companies grow. That's what we do. That's what I do. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for the background and congratulations on all of that success. I've heard some amazing things about Pavilion and the community you've built. So kudos to you and the team. Um, definitely you. a solid point of resource and anybody listening should go sign up for Pavilion. I agree I initially, with that 100%, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. How could you not? Um, I initially That's ran into the largest into... shareholder, <laughs> <laughs> and you know the biased decision maker as right. well. So exactly, one hundred percent. You initially blew up on uh, on LinkedIn because you did a post talking about the correct order for go to market for startups, and I really want to dive into that because the goal for today's conversation. Um, I'm trying to hop on the bandwagon for leading the reason that marketing should be hired first before sales. And you've done this successfully multiple times. And so I'm really excited to have you on today's episode to lead that motion and build the case and showcase marketing's importance when it comes to taking this in a go-to-market motion. Um, and the post that you wrote that blew up was talking about how the correct go-to-market motion is market, market first, the product second, then marketing, and then sales is actually last. And you got a lot of debate about that. And so I'm curious, can you talk to me more and the audience more about what that backlash is about and why you recommend it to go in that order? Yeah, sure, of course. So there's a couple key ideas that are um, that sit at the heart of, of, of that post and really my perspective here. So first of all, when I'm talking about 
uh, marketing before sales. I'm not talking necessarily about a single marketing hire before a single sales hire. I'm talking about the build out of the function, right? There's a marketing department that includes content marketing and demand gen. And I am saying build out that department before you build out the sales department. That doesn't necessarily mean you don't hire uh, one or two early salespeople when you're very, very young. And you might do that because really they're functioning. They're not just sales. They're really getting market feedback. They're bringing feedback back to the product. A lot of times those people will not end up in sales anyway. They joined the startup because they were excited to work at a tiny company and sales was just one of the things that needed to happen. So when I say marketing before sales, what I really mean is the department, the excellence of marketing uh, before the excellence of sales as a department. So what does that mean specifically? That means that I think most companies misunderstand how money is made. Uh, and what does that mean? That means that, um, in my opinion, people confuse the act of sort of generating demand with turning demand into revenue. I think salespeople are incredibly well positioned to turn de existing demand into revenue. And I do think that salespeople should, you know, account executives should prospect as some percentage of their overall pipeline generation. But fundamentally, the thing that companies need to get good at is not turning existing to demand into money, right? It's not there's not that many companies that have tons and tons and tons of pipeline, tons and tons and tons of meetings. And what they really need is to just put in medic or some sales methodology, and that'll yep. transform the whole company. Uh, maybe some people think that. I don't think that. I think fundamentally at the beginning, the thing that that doesn't mean that medic's not important or, you know, force management, teaching control of the message or command of the message or all of these methodologies, all Sandler, you know, Miller Hyman, they're all important. But that's not the point. The point is the hardest thing to do is to get meetings, is to get a meeting, to get an engaged, you know, somebody that is a good person to buy your product, to give, to get that person to give you time so that you can understand their problems and figure out if your solution is a match for their problem. Getting meetings at scale is the hardest part of building go-to-market, right? Getting people interested. It's not that hard to turn interest into money, but it is extremely hard to get people interested in the first place because everybody's busy. Everybody's got other stuff to do. They've got meetings to go to. They've got other apps or products or services that they like. They've got their own lives to lead. And so, uh, and so marketing is the team that gets meetings fundamentally. Now, it's not all that it does. And that doesn't mean that I'm distilling all of marketing down to demand gen. And in fact, I think that that's typically a mistake. But I think that marketing is the act of creating a message, figuring out who you want to bring that message to and when and then presenting that message to the right group of people at the right time to maximize the likelihood that they'll be interested. And then when you do that, and you have a lot of people interested, then you build out the sales team to harness that interest and turn it into money. But without the interest, nothing happens. Yeah, 100%. And oftentimes, especially for high growth startups who are looking from C to series A, they don't have those meetings at scale. And so definitely using marketing to the capability to bring in those meetings for that sales team that you mentioned, it's not necessarily the higher one or the other. It's having that as like a collaboration between the two teams. However, what I see is a lot of startups start with sales first and they build out like five sales teams with zero marketers. And they try to push that just an entire outbound motion for it to be successful. And then they think, down the road, maybe like a year in, that they should have hired marketing. Can you talk about what are the, some of the implications that you've seen for companies that went full sales-led motion first versus those that actually invested in both sales and marketing? Well, the, the, here, here's the typical evolution. Uh, the typical evolution is that company is started, uh, you know, it, it, it slowly finds 
what you might call like the early stages of like an ICP, an ideal customer profile. If you can hear the sirens in the background, that's how you know I'm definitely in New York City. Uh, so, so you do that and you get a little bit of momentum and you build out a small sales team and you capture that momentum and you turn it into money. And then what happens is at, that's typically the point at which you raise your first major round of funding. And what you do is you hire a bunch of salespeople. And because th there's a bunch of reasons why. I think fundamentally, if we were to say, why do people want to hire ex account executives before they want to invest in marketing? And the reason is this, because uh, account executives have the perception of more instant gratification, mm -hmm. right? You, you are ready to scale. You want money. You built a revenue model like a spreadsheet. And you have a spreadsheet where you're, you have the quota of the salesperson times however many salespeople. And yes, you have a ramp and maybe you have attrition and maybe you say only 60% of people hit quota, but fundamentally, right? Here's the problem. Fundamentally, the number goes up. Your revenue number goes up when you add one more salesperson, right? Because every salesperson triggers, this is their quota monthly or annual, this is their ramp, but, no, but the fundamental unit, the thing that is moving the, the revenue up is hiring more salespeople. And so that feels like an easy thing to do. And you don't stop and think about what is the actual mechanism that is going to make that salesperson successful. So then the next thing that happens, let's say, let's say you've done that once, right? And, and it didn't work out and you say, no, no, I get it. I want to hire marketing before sales because I need leads and marketing's job is to generate leads. So then you go and you, um, maybe you talk to me, maybe talk to somebody else and he's like, okay, I have religion now. I want to invest in marketing before sales because marketing gives me leads. Let me hire a director of demand gen. As I understand it, demand gen is the function within marketing that gives me leads. Sam said, hire marketing before sales. That means hire a director of demand gen. That person will then give me leads and those leads will go to the salespeople and I will still be able to hit this year's revenue number. And the problem is that any sophisticated person will then say, well, you can't really hire demand gen before you hire content or messaging or somebody more thoughtful to tell you what to say because demand gen, uh, takes a message and puts it in a box and makes that box appear in front of somebody at a specific time, right? Demand gen is the act of taking a message to a specific group of people at a specific time. But demand gen is not the act of creating the message. And I learned that mistake very painfully uh, when I was at Livestream and they had all these leads or, or I thought they had leads. And I said, okay, I'm going to invest in marketing. I'm going to hire a director of demand gen. And the director of demand gen said, okay, I'm ready to run my first campaign. What do you want me to say? What, are the ad what should the ads say? I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, isn't it obvious? Tell them to sign up for sign up for live stream. And she said, well, that's not really how it works. And um, what you realize uh, through this whole uh, arduous and extended process and protracted process, what you realize is that it takes a long time. That's the, the other reason. Besides the fact that spreadsheets uh, are driven by hiring more salespeople, the other reason you're averse to hiring marketing is because once you realize that you don't have any marketing and someone tells you how long does it take for marketing to really develop some momentum, it can take nine months. It can take a year. And you say, well, I don't have nine months to a year. I told these investors that I was going to hit the number this year. So I need to go out and hire some salespeople now because I, I don't have time to sit around and wait for this marketing you know, BS. And that's the second problem, which is just a time frame problem. And um, because most of the time, once, once you really, if you're a founder or any kind of leader, revenue leader, once you figure out the game, what you realize is that most of the time you're working on a time period that is so far in the future that it is, uh, it can be disconcerting. It can be frustrating. You know, if you have a, a six month, let's say a three month sales cycle, 
You might also have a two-month or three-month lead to opportunity cycle. And you might have a one-month, two-month, three-month impression to lead cycle. And so what you realize quickly is that the efforts that you're taking today are really about something that's going to happen six to nine months in the future, not necessarily anything that's going to happen tomorrow. And that's, you know, that, that doesn't feel very satisfying to people that feel like they have a number to hit right now. Yeah, I love that outline. And also, I think one of the the challenges that I have with, um, first, I resonate entirely with what I said about managing, about needing to go to market. And you're just like, okay, wait, wait a second. Like, what's the actual message? Because I've been that hire two or three times at startups where they're like, marketing or the sales team needs leads. You know, we're going to hire Janelle and she's going to make it work. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, there's so much more that we need to be doing. So you totally hit the nail on the head right there. But I think another thing that sales people are guilty of is chasing that immediate uh, lead that immediate uh, sense for closing because they are attributed to that quota, you know, and they do have that instant gratification that you mentioned. How does that come into play when it, we're talking about the larger creating demand and the larger um, brand awareness for a startup and that growth projection? Because a salesperson will then chase anything that's immediate and be like, oh, you don't want to take a meeting with me? Like, okay, bye. And then they'll go and they'll chase the next shiny thing. Whereas with marketing, we can still keep those impressions up front and we can still kind of nurture those individuals where even if it takes six months, now instead of having that one opportunity for the salesperson, marketing could have three, six, nine, you know, and it's still that same direction from a sales cycle. Marketing is just able to produce it a little bit more at scale. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts are that that is a function of having too many salespeople for you know, primarily like the, the, the problem, the reason that market, that salespeople are going to, you know, the, the dynamic is you hire too many salespeople, then you invest in marketing mm -hmm. and Mark, and, and particularly if you don't know anything about marketing, this was especially true a couple of years ago, then marketing is going to feel a ton of pressure to generate leads. We hired Janelle mm -hmm. a month ago. Is Janelle working out? I'm not sure. I haven't really seen if leads are going up. So then you're like, okay, shit, I got to get more leads. So then you start putting, you know, forms everywhere. And like everything you do is trying to capture. I mean, this is all like, tactics from 10 years ago, right? Because none 100%. of this stuff actually works anymore. But but there was an idea that it would. So if I get enough email addresses, then then I can send them over to sales. And that sales says, these aren't qualified. You know, this is all yep. proton mail. These are all like Russians and, you know, like scammers and stuff like that. And uh, and so you need a better. So then your answer is, well, I need a lead qualification mechanism. Maybe I'll get marketing. Okay. Shut up. All right. Those are my dogs. I love the level of authenticity on this podcast right now. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Bring your true self. Here you go, exactly. both of us. <laughs> is, welcome to COVID. Um, so, so anyway, the point is this, that, so then the next thing that happens is that you, as a marketer, you're like, all right, I'm going to build a market, you know, I'm going to build a, a lead score. And uh, all of my ideas are going to go into the lead score and, uh, and I'm going to create an MQL. And so then for a while, you think that that's good. But then you still are sending over crap leads to sales. Why are you sending over crap leads to sales? Because your lead score gives extra points for how many people, how many times they visit the pricing page. And you're like, listen, a Gmail can still be good. Um, even if it's not a corporate email address, if they're hitting the pricing page 42 times, they must really be interested. So that'll mean that they convert higher and Marketo will score it higher or whatever. So anyway, the point is, how do you get away from this constant back and forth? I think there's a couple of ways one of, that are being talked about, you know, very often right now. One of them is that marketing shouldn't be comped or incentivized against MQLs, marketing qualified leads. Mm -hmm. And and maybe if any, if, if you're going to incentivize on anything other than revenue, it's probably qualified pipeline generation. Mm -hmm. But if it's not that, then it's probably just revenue. 
you know, the, the, the reason why there's like revenue ops and revenue intelligence and revenue forecast as opposed to sales ops is because I think there's general agreement these days that go, you know, generating revenue is a team sport and it's a team sport that involves really every part of the organization, but especially sales and marketing working together hand in hand. And so instead of, you know, marketing being comped on MQLs and sales just being comped on, uh, on revenue, the intermediate step might be marketing comped on qualified pipeline, but the real step is that the sales and marketing leader are both just comped on revenue and, uh, and they were working together to figure out what campaigns and what programs need to be run to get interest up to a level where people want to raise their hand and really become a qualified lead. But there, the other issue here, Janelle, as I'm sure you've struggled with, is the issue of attribution. Because, see, because the, the other intermediate step before you get to, see, like the real uh, kumbaya moment, the real like epiphany in a way is that even attribution is fundamentally flawed and that um, it's really about campaigns. It's really about programs where and plays where the sales and marketing team are working together as opposed to like, you know, uh, well, if marketing sends up this webinar and the last touch attribution, the last time I got that email address, was from the webinar or the last time I got that email address was actually the SDR reaching out and creating an opportunity. It's like, yeah, that's true. But the SDR was reaching out after the person had been to the pricing page, had attended a webinar and had attended a steak dinner. So saying that that's not marketing attributed is, is BS. And then you say, okay, maybe it's marketing influenced, but really the point is like everything is marketing influenced in an ideal state. And really it's about, uh, it's about the sales team and the account management team working together. Yeah, I would argue that everything is marketing influence if you have a marketing team working for you. Point in blank, if they're going to a website and that's how they get in contact with somebody, most of the time marketing owns leads, has a voice in the website to where if the website didn't exist, how would somebody else get in charge of you? So I don't like the conversation of marketing influenced versus sales influenced or anything. I think everybody's working together to influence pipeline. That's the point of a go-to-market motion. I think when it comes to who's sourcing, you know, the quality of the opportunities and how many we can do that, that's a whole different conversation, which you just talked about about holding marketing and the sales teams accountable to actual revenue and qualified pipeline or qualified opportunity creation as well, which I totally stand by. Um, you keep mentioning that this, you know, have has been tactics of like 10 years ago. And like the traditional mindset is to go to market with, you know, building out a sales team first and way too many sales leaders. There's been a lot of talk on LinkedIn as well that demand gen and the conversation that MQL should no longer be, you know, just the, any type of content download or webinar request, that it should be more towards uh, a traditional, you know, demand gen function and uh, understanding the difference between create demand. And a lot of people came back and were like, you know, been there, done that. Like demand gen is old and like companies have already pivoted from lead gen to demand gen motion. Probably about five to one ratio of the companies that I talk to are still actively running a lead gen model and start with sales first. Traditionally, like, you know, five sales reps, to like zero marketers. Could you, I don't know, putting you on the spot here, put like a ratio number or a percentage of the number of companies that you see that are still in like that traditional growth mindset of like sales led first versus marketing led first or any thoughts that you have that you could share? Well, uh. You're, you're saying that you think it's like uh, only 20% of the companies that you talk to are really like have religion around qualified pipeline and sales and marketing alignment. Yeah, like there's still so much opportunity to discuss the transition and that evolution from going something that was so traditional that's been working 10 years ago to trying to modernize this motion between marketing and sales, go to market, demand gen. Well, it's interesting. You know, I hang out in a, I, I might hang out, you know, I, I run a community and, yeah. uh, and the community is, 
is not in, you know, the community has my ideas baked into it. So my, so the people that I hang out with are all probably more sophisticated or advanced than the people that are, I think by definition, people that are in pavilion. And I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, you could say any community generally, but um, most communities, uh, there's a few, Matt Hines and Latney Conant run, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they run like a coffee talk Fridays. That is, that is, I would consider them very, very sophisticated. But there's quite a few communities that are run by people that actually have never held any meaningful leadership position at an operating company and or like there's no reason that they would know, um, you know. Uh, and so the, what's the point? The point is that people I hang out with all uh, disproportionately tend to agree with this idea that we need to invest in demand before we invest in sales. I would probably think that I'm, uh, you know, there's an attribution bias here where based on, you know, the fact that they joined Pavilion in the first place, they're already already more sophisticated, more advanced, and in, interested in pursuing more novel ideas. So for me, it's probably closer to 50-50 as opposed to like 80-20 nice. the old way, but uh, but I hear you. And uh, and there's still, the, the number one thing that, and it's it's also, I just think there are certain companies that have product market fit, particularly at the enterprise level, where, it, where there's a level, certain leaders, certain revenue leaders at a large enterprise level it is probably easier to build a, a model that is rep driven because, but, but oftentimes because the unit that you're, the rep brings along marketing investment and brings along all of these other things so that what you're really looking is still the fundamental uh, cost of creating a meeting or creating an opportunity. But the lower you go, the less that that's true and the more you have to like explicitly invest in marketing over sales. So I think at the enterprise level, probably there's even more people that are just like building a revenue model based on hiring people. And then that's the answer to their, to their question. I think the more that we can educate people that you have that revenue forecasting and budgeting is requires kind of like a, a triangulation as much, there's no one way to do it. It's sort of like, you got to look at what does the business tell you about how much you need to spend to get to where you want to go. And then you look at what you're able to spend and then you figure out if that's acceptable based on what the numbers tell you, but that's not, that's not a perfect science. That's a triangulation method. I think the more that we can do that, we're going to get better leaders that understand the act of generating revenue more comprehensively. Yeah, that's really valuable insight. Thank you for sharing. Um, going back to the foundational model that we talked about for the go-to-market motion, at what point do you think that a startup is ready to make their first marketing hire or to invest in that marketing function? I the minute that they want to make money, I think they should be thinking about when to add some kind of marketing. And, Who do you think? This, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Who do you think that they should start first when they're thinking about building out a marketing function? I think it should probably be a young person on their way up that's had some kind of demand gen background or content marketing background, somebody that's a student of the game, hopefully somebody that's a pavilion member. And maybe the uh, the title is head of marketing as you know, it's not VP, it's not it's not super senior, but it's somebody that can get their hands dirty. And uh, at the same time, you know, you probably want to hire three people at once. You might want to hire two uh, account executives plus one marketing person. So again, you're like, but Sam, you said invest in marketing before sales. I'm saying the, the function of marketing, but you need those two salespeople at the very, very beginning because you need market feedback. You need people talking to customers every day with an incentive to close business and drive revenue growth. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Um, the next thing that you posted on LinkedIn that you also got a little bit of debate about was speed to market over accuracy. 
Can you expand more on why speed of market is important and how that translates from an example perspective of accuracy versus no, uh, nothing in market? Well, I just think this is a general human, uh, the, I think people tend to, um, you know, overestimate the, uh, the cost of, of inaccuracy. That's the, the, base, the basic point that I make in my post, which I call the decision coefficient, which is basically a math problem. But the point that I make in that post, and generally speaking, is that I think people overestimate the cost of bad decisions. They think that, you know, the world will end. And, you know, Jeff Bezos calls these type one and type two decisions. And, I, you know, I always get them mixed up. But one of them is that the world doesn't end. And one of them is that it does. You know, one of them is a right. one-way door. And the other one is, but most things are not one-way doors. Most, you know, uh, moving all of our finances to uh, FTX, that might be a one-way decision based on what's happening in the market. But, you know, what's the copy for this email? What's the subject line of this email? Should we launch the page if we don't have the perfect high-res image? If the copy, you know, a lot of marketing decisions specifically are not life-changing. They are, and, and in fact, whatever your best idea today is, It'll be better if you have data. And so a lot of people spend a lot of time debating the perfect answer. It could be anything. It could be a comp plan. It could be, um, I mean, comp plans are important, but comp pl most decisions shouldn't be made like in an ivory tower between two people and not sharing them with the rest of the company. Most decisions are better decisions when they get feedback from the market. If you have a, I've been in so many VPs of sales. I've been one of them. You sit there with your head of ROPS and you, do, and you construct this beautiful comp plan and then you bring it out to the team and you're like, this is the way it is. And you make the mistake of saying, this is the way it is, as opposed to, this is an idea, what do you all think about it? So then they say, okay, this is the way it is. This is the new world order. And the point is that all of these ideas don't stand up to the market itself giving you the information. So instead of debating it endlessly in a room when it's only gonna be torn apart when you bring it out into the world, why not put it out into the world more quickly, get the feedback, iterate, and then you're on to the next decision. See, the, the point that I make in speed over accuracy is that people that are fast cover more ground. Mm -hmm. So you can be wrong at first. You know, there, there can be one person that's going to stay in his room or her room or their room for a day or a week and try to come up with the perfect answer. And there's another person that comes up with an answer in 15 minutes. But the difference is that person that comes up with an answer in 15 minutes goes out and presents it to the world. And the world says, here's what we think about it. And then the person has the version two of that answer 15 minutes after that. Whereas the other person is still sitting in their room, you know, writing their, their you know, grand, grand, uh, grand plan. And so I just think that speed is just so important because it helps you iterate and get you to the correct, get, get you to accuracy more quickly. And you get information that you would never have known if you weren't engaging with the market regularly. So I just think, yes, there are certain decisions that are life or death, but most are not. Yeah. And I would also add that part of it is not letting your ego get in the way as well. So oftentimes you have somebody of seniority level and somebody that's a little bit more junior and a junior could have a really great idea and wants to take to market. And the seniority person feels threatened that somebody has such a great idea and they sabotage it and they say, no, we're going to go this way instead. Like instead of, you know, having somebody's ego to say, you know, it's my way or the highway, really having that open mindset as well and saying, maybe we just need to test both, right? And to your point, let the data speak for it. Like there is no right or wrong answers when we're all trying to sit and figure it out together. And the whole point is for us to make that splash, learn to grow, and then just continue on that upward scale motion. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say that, you know, for me, the way I think about it, I agree with you, Janelle. I would, the, I would also add though, senior people are senior people ostensibly, right? Because they have experience. So what I try to do yeah. is 
I try to weight my, I call it my strength of conviction meter, right? I'm the, I'm the boss, I'm the CEO. So if I have strong, and this is, by the way, this is like why A, I'm not good at working at a big company and B, uh, why some people don't like working with me because if I have very, very strong conviction, um, I don't really want to debate. You know, there's certain decisions where it's like, if I feel like a nine out of 10, like this thing is the right way to do it, then I just want to do it my way. And, and again, if we can do it quickly and I'm wrong, that's great. Like we'll find out very quickly. Whereas if I don't have a strong point of, strong point of view, I don't care at all. No, because it's like, why would I, if you have a strong point of view and I don't, then that's a great situation because I just want you to do what you want to do. And if I have a strong point of view and you don't, that's also great. The problem, of course, is when you have a strong point of view and I have a strong point of view. And then, and then I would probably say, well, but that's why I'm the CEO. So. Well, I think part of it, yeah, it's the argument of, yeah, you're the CEO, you know, the person is more senior to your point. And there is at some point to say, I'm putting my foot down and this is the direction. I think more in sort of like sometimes they're just internal company politics, you know, and yeah, sometimes people just get in the way of each other. And so that's a specific call out of just finding a way that we're all here, like for the benefit of the business. And yeah, to your point, totally, sometimes you just need to sit down in a corner and shut up and just learn as you go. And the other times, you know, if you have the opportunity to step up and offer a good idea. I think that's also a really great approach as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that as a leader, you know, you, to the point, right, most things are um, are not life or death. And that's why I want to give, um, I want to give my junior people, the people that are earlier in their careers, I want to give them an opportunity to make mistakes so that they can mm -hmm. learn from those mistakes. As long as there's a process for, you know, uh, uh, like a retro, as long as there's a process to reflect on why did this happen? What did we do? Et cetera, et cetera. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so I, I don't want anybody to listening to think that I'm just a jerk that's like overruling people all the time. It's more that like I hire really, really smart people. Most of the time, I just want to let them do whatever they want to do. Sometimes I'll have an opinion and, uh, you know, that's okay. And that's the way that it should be transparently. Um, so I yeah. appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. You also have a new book that just came out, which actually launched officially yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's called, it's called Kind Folks Finished First. Please share your knowledge on what that book is about and why everybody needs to go buy it right now. Sure. And let's see if, uh, if we're on Zoom. This is it right here. Uh, yeah. So this is the book. Um, okay. So the book is about, well, it's about the building of Pavilion, this company that I run. And the reason that that may or may not be interesting to people is, is a couple things. The first is that I, I struggled for a long time in my career. As I mentioned to you earlier, I kept getting fired. I've been fired four out of my last five jobs. And I really reached a turning point on uh, Friday the 13th uh, of 2017 in October. So Friday, October 13th, 2017 was just a huge day in my life. And it began this journey that's taken me, you know, five years later to today. We're recording this November 16th. And um, it's, been a, it's been a five year journey to rediscover my values, to rediscover why I was doing business in the first place and what I stood for, and to try and build a company based on ideas that I didn't hear a lot of people talking about. And Pavilion is built on kindness, fundamentally. You know, we were community. And the point of the community is that you're supposed to help other people and you're supposed to give before you get, and you're supposed to not sell and focus on relationships, not transactions. And we're taught that that's a loser's way, right? There's this famous, um, you know, famous phrase. It's originally from baseball, uh, nice guys finish last. And I think the original phrase is actually like, Look at the nice guys that are over there in last place or whatever. Um, but the point is, 
in this world, in this modern world, uh, I'm only speaking for myself. And, you know, I recognize I'm a somewhat sophisticated person, so I can understand all of the flaws in anecdotal data. But, uh, but the point is, um, sorry for all these intrusions. This has been like the most, uh, you know, the, the most, uh, 2022, uh, podcast ever. But anyway, uh, the, the, the point that I, that I'm making is that, listen, I get it. And if you're cynical and if you think that, you know, it takes tough bastards to win and you're reading, uh, the newspaper and seeing that Elon Musk is telling people that they got to like work 16 hours a day or they're fired, then maybe you think that that's not a way to win, but I'm just telling you that I have, uh, I have won. And, and whatever winning means, I have generated wealth. I have uh, built a big company that has valued at a large valuation. I've helped lots and lots of people. I've done a lot of good things. And that doesn't mean I'm a great person or a saint. I don't think that. I don't, you know, I've, I'm, I can be mean. I can be jerk. I can be short. I can be moody. I, I don't make the perfect decision. I'm not holding myself up as a saint. I'm saying I try to do the right thing. And these are the principles that I try to abide by. And they've worked. And the, the problem is most of the time we're taught that that if you do the right thing, it's, it's just so you'll sleep better at night. You know, it's like, you can be a good person and you can help. And, you know, you let the other person in front of you in line and that's okay. But just know that you're still a loser. You're going to lose, right? Uh, whatever lose means, you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to get rich. You're not going to make the money that you want. You're going to get taken advantage of, but Hey, it's better to be a good person and poor and, you know, destitute, uh, than, uh, than to win. And that's, Again, like the point of the book is no, no, no. And I had this debate with, with, the, with, the, with the publisher, with Wiley. They said, is it really kind folks finish first? Isn't it about like the kindness principle? I'm like, no, I'm trying to share with people. It's not, it's not about just being kind for its own sake. This is a path to professional success. This is a way, if there's a game, this is a way to win the game. It's a way to win a different game. Now you're playing a different game because your game is longer, right? Your game plays out over 20 to 30 years. But the point of the book is being a good person is can be can be is is very much in your self-interest for a bunch of different ways. And these are frameworks that not only make you a good person, but also help you lead a more fulfilled life. And they can still get you where you want to go. It does. You don't have to be Donald Trump. You don't have to, you know, cheat, lie and steal. You can you can play a different kind of game and still get the results that you're looking for, or at least. I have set out on that journey and I am telling you from personal experience, it has worked for me. Yeah. I don't think that's talked enough about in business where you're meant to be ruthless and, you know, just mean and cynical all the time. So I'm really excited for that book. I know I'll definitely order it, but where can people find that link to buy your book? Well, you can go on Amazon right now. We are, uh, we're the number four, we're number four in business and finance as of this recording. And awesome. I will also say that um, I'm available uh, for speaking engagements uh, for a very low fee. Just buy. So there's these we're running some programs where if you buy uh, copies of the book, uh, you get uh, special incentives. If you buy enough copies, I'll come speak in person at your SKO or your company offsite. Uh, I'll do a virtual meeting if you want. Uh, I am available. You know, I do anything, absolutely anything for money. So, you know, if you offer me some money, I'll do anything you want. I'll run naked through the streets of New York. I'll tattoo different animals on my body. Whatever needs to be done, I will do it as long as you buy my book. Please buy my book. Please. And for and for my listeners specifically, I'll put that link in the show notes too. So you don't have to go too far to try and find it. I'll link it there for you. Um, make sure you buy that book. Make sure you sign up for Pavilion, the community. Where can people sign up to get into Pavilion? Yeah, go to joinpavilion.com. And uh, and we've basically, there's uh, 
it's either a corporate, the, the big thing is if you're executive, meaning you've achieved a VP level title or above, think about our executive community. But otherwise, uh, what I would really do is tell your company to sign up on a corporate plan because that way we could get everybody that's on the go-to-market team into one of our learning programs and really help you develop and, and up-level and upskill and, and be better at your job and uh, have a better, more fulfilling career. So joinpavilion.com. If you want to email me, you can, Sam at joinpavilion.com. Uh, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me anytime. And yeah, the thing I would really appreciate is if you wanted to buy the book and leave us a review on Amazon, that would be awesome. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing all those and your knowledge drops for today's episode. Uh, that's all that we have for today. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Janelle, thanks for having me as a guest. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Demand Gen Made Simple podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please do not forget to subscribe. Thanks, and see you next time.